you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jeremy Lunnan. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Mads. I'm looking forward to, to our conversation. Glad to be here. Likewise, I'm super excited to geek out today and talk some more management. I haven't done that for a whole week. <laughs> so, as usual, there's people around the world who don't yet know who you are. Would you mind doing a quick introduction so the audience have a better feel of your background or where you're yep. coming from? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I am I'm currently the Global Leadership Development Programs Manager for a company called Qualphone. And we run uh, contact centers ar- around the world. Um, probably any of the major companies you work with is probably a client of ours. We work with some, some big companies. And, and my job in my role is Actually, uh, I, I kind of lead the efforts of, of our Qualphone University, the, the leadership development uh, part of that. And I spend much of my time either developing training or delivering training for folks that are moving into their first supervisory positions. So it's, it's great that I get to talk with mostly younger people uh, that are having their first foray into leadership and they're excited and it's just a lot of fun. And, and it's amazing Mads and you've seen this over the years, I'm sure that the idea now that you can get on a meeting and you've got people from all over the world joining you in real time in this meeting, you know, 20 years ago, that's, that's not something we were able to do. So, uh, and of course COVID has just meant that happens even more often now. Uh, but that's most of my day is is working on on that type of leadership training. Uh, I've been with this current organization for a, uh, since 2006, so I guess that's about 15 years. And prior to that, I uh, worked in other contact centers. I worked for a couple different uh, universities. Um, I have a, a master's degree and have have been in business the business world since about 1989, I guess, somewhere around there, uh, when I finally kind of grew up. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've got seven kids. I live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest uh, here in the United States, Eastern Washington. Yeah. And, um, you know, just, just love what I do. I've been working from home for about five years now. So I got that going for me. It wasn't too big of a change when, when the COVID happened. Um, but I, I enjoy, I say going to work. I enjoy walking downstairs to my office to work every day. It's, it's a great thing. It's always an adventure. Definitely. Definitely. And that's, uh, I think that's one of the most important things. I mean, if you, if you really find things to do that you enjoy so much, then, you know, it makes life so much better. So. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah, but that's that sounds super exciting. And uh, yeah, as I said, I'm I'm so excited to talk a little bit more about leadership because particularly, I mean, I've worked in big companies like Xerox and IBM and so on, and I've, I've worked with a lot of people and, and clients from from other large corporations. And 
for me, the biggest challenge leadership-wise have always been the lack of training, right? So then there's some organizations such as uh, McDonald's that are very famous for the right. solid leadership development programs, right? But but many, even big companies are really not winning in that aspect, right? Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, and I mean, it's one of my missions. One of one of the key things I personally work on is, is helping people develop leaders, right? Because so many people, it's like, if you're put into a sales role, you get sales training. If you're put into a customer service role, you get customer service training. If you're promoted to a manager, you get nothing. <laughs> That's right. right. It's Yeah, and, for sure. And those are exactly the people that you want to probably invest the most in, if anything. Right. right? So that's... Uh, yeah, well, that's that, that's a bit of my experience at least. Yeah, and 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 what's interesting about that, Mads? I I work for a big company. I mean, I considered we we have about uh, between sixteen and seventeen thousand employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably fourteen thousand of those folks are agents. You know, they're they're people that that when you call, you're talking to, or you're texting, or you're emailing with these frontline agents. Um, and you would think a company as large as that, you know, that's a pretty big company, but we were talking earlier about how many of your, your listeners are, are from small business and there's still that, that, that entrepreneur spirit that we have within our organization. You know, the actual team that I work with is relatively small. And I think sometimes we forget (laughs) that we're impacting, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Uh, because we we like to consider ourselves still very agile and and we move quickly and and all of these things, uh, and so in the course of my day, it doesn't seem like I work for a really big company, right? Yeah. Um, and and my my audience, you know, the folks that I'm working with are, uh, you know, they're they're new supervisors, and so from any given site. There, there might be 2,000 people at a site in the Philippines, but, but the folks I'm working with every day might be a group of 30 or 40 people. So, so I have this illusion that I'm part of this, this small, <laughs> close-knit, small business when, reali- when in reality the company's you know, fairly large. Yeah. Um, but I love that feel of a small team and, and, and almost having like that family relationship with the people you work with. It's, it's a great thing. Yeah, I, I totally love that feel as well. But I, I have to say, like, I, I love building companies. And then I also love the stage when you get to the point where you don't know everyone. Because, again, that's uh, like, like there's different, there's sort of many different levels of management. And, and it's a little bit different when you're when you're building new businesses, right? Because sure. the, the founder goes through a lot of sort of stages in the development, right? And when you're, when you're working on a company and it's brand new, you know, it's all driven by the founder and, and it's all, yeah, it's all founder-based, right? And then exactly. you get to a point where they start delegating, letting go, hopefully. And, you know, over time they, they start growing. And, you know, at some point they get to the stage where they don't know everyone in the company. And, you know, when, when they're communicating their mission and vision and, and their ideas, you know, it's going through multiple layers. And like that journey of being able to do that successfully is very, very difficult if you haven't got a management background or if you haven't got background in doing that sort of stuff, right? And that's, uh, for, for me, that's one of the most exciting journeys. So when I, when I see a, a company get to around 50 staff, like I know that they've gone through these different steps, right? And I find that super exciting. And, and it's funny you say that because one of the recurring themes that I come across when I'm talking with veterans, 
people that have been with the organization for a long time, they'll talk about, you know, those growing pains. And they'll talk about, yeah, when I started, there was a hundred employees and I knew everyone's name. And we all, we all knew our kid, each other's kids' names and, and it's good and bad, right? When you have that growth that happens. And at some point it happened in our company, you know, our, our founder, for example, he got to the point where the company got to a size where, okay, I need to bring someone in that has the management experience for a larger organization. Cause guess what? We're a large organization now. And so, yeah. you know, that happened, that happened with our company. It's happened with other companies. And I think that's like you said, that part of that natural transition. And some people might kind of mourn that the loss of that really tight family type relationship, but that's just kind of the, the, uh, the uh, growth pattern of any company. It, it finally does get to that point that you mentioned where you don't know everyone's name. Um, and that's just, that's just part of growth. And it's, and it's very exciting at the same time. Like that's what, what I love is when you, when you can do it that way, when you have that small company feel, but you start growing and you're able to keep the same culture, you're able to really like have a leadership and a management team that drives that culture to the business. Right. Yeah. That for me is super, super satisfying because it, all successful business is about building solid culture, right? And it's yeah. all about like, yeah. And and I'm I'm so glad you said that. One of the things that that we talk about it's a it's a common discussion. I love talking about it. People that are in my class they might not like it as much, but it's just a common thing that we talk about. And it is it is this idea of culture, you know. And and I like to use the metaphor of growing a garden. And, and I'll, I'll walk the class through, you know, I'll say, okay, what do we need to do to grow a garden? And, and they'll spell it out. Well, you got to have a good place that's clear of, you clear the rocks out and you till the soil and you, and we walk through this whole process of growing a garden. And then I always ask the question, well, what happens if you don't do anything? What's going to happen with that piece of soil? And they say, oh, you get weeds, you grow weeds. And, and we kind of use that for a metaphor. And we talk about, uh, you know, weeds, if you have weeds in your culture. And, and the, the whole point is, if you're growing a garden, you have to be very deliberate. You have to plan, you have to nurture, you have to feed. Um, and if you don't do anything, something is going to grow. It's just not going to be what you want to grow, you know? And so we talk about that all the time. Your company will have a culture right? Nothing survives in a vacuum. It will either have the culture that you have carefully nurtured and pruned and fed and loved, or you're going to have whatever takes root, you know? And so this, this idea of culture is so important. I mean, I probably the most important thing in an organization is, is the culture uh, and, and something that, that we try and talk a lot about in our organization. Totally, totally. So I'm super excited because you you train a lot of these new managers, right, and 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 leaders and so on. So, what's what sort of your any particular sort of strategies or mindset or like what 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 do you find most important? I guess when you're when you're starting working with with younger people, I think one of the first things that that people need to understand is the, the things that make you, so let's use as an example, 
in, in my world, it's, it's a, an agent on the phone, right? Someone might be a wonderful agent on the phone. And, and sometimes it's not necessarily the fault of this agent. It might be the fault of whoever brings them along. We make this mistake sometimes of thinking, hey, well, John here is, he can really sell. He's a great salesman. Since he's such a great salesman, let's make him a manager of other salespeople. Well, being a great salesman and being a great manager aren't necessarily the same thing, right? And, and we'll often see that, particularly in sales. You know, you get a great salesperson out of sales and put them into management and they might fail miserably because they're two different skill sets, right? So I think one of the first things that new leaders have to realize is that just because they were great on the phones, just because they were a great salesman doesn't mean that they're going to automatically, you know, have, have people choose to follow them, right? So we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the basic, basic, basics, you know, the two types of power, the position power versus the personal power and, and, and how are you going to influence people and, and that sort of thing. And I think one of the, my mantras is, is this idea of bigger conversations, right? Is elevating your conversations above just talking about numbers and metrics. Cause I think in, in our industry, in the contact center industry, the outsourcing industry, it's very metrics driven. I mean, that's, that's how we justify our existence, right? Is we help these companies we partner with hit their numbers, uh, so yeah, we have an intense focus on numbers and that's kind of a hard mental switch to make. We are focused so much on numbers, but we have to get leaders to realize that I can't manage to metrics, right? I can't say, Hey, get your sales up by 18%. That's not helpful in any way, right? What oh, I have, you can say it, but <laughs> I can, yeah, I can say it, right. I can say it, but, but what we've got to do is we've got to focus on on behaviors. We've got to focus on, you know, um, all that soft skills stuff, all the communication stuff, all the listening stuff that makes a great manager. And when I say bigger conversations, I mean, you've got to be talking about more than just numbers. You're, you're never going to tap into that discretionary effort if we're just talking about numbers. Um, and, and, and so that's, that's what I try and instill is you got to know your people. You got to know what motivates each person. And it's going to be different for each person. You've got to be invested in them and have those bigger conversations, find out what makes them tick, talk about goals, talk about long-term stuff, be invested in them. And um, you know, that's oftentimes kind of an eye opener because they think they're going to move in they're going to, you know, have this little check, check boxes that they'll mark off on each employee. And, and it'll be a very, you know, number crunchy environment. But I always tell them, you know, the magic doesn't happen when you're sitting at your desk looking at a spreadsheet, right? The magic happens when you're engaging with your folks and having those bigger conversations with them and, and investing in them you know, it's, it's about relationships. It's about relationships. Oh, and so I'll, I'll, tu I'll turn it around a little bit and say the magic happened when you aren't looking at spreadsheets. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, cause yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And so one of the things that I think is, is very interesting, what you mentioned earlier is about this 
you know, the, the best sales guy doesn't make, necessarily make the best sales manager. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of the time that that's a very common saying. Uh, and my, my philosophy on it is actually uh, to, to some degree that it's incorrect. What I, what I say or the way I look at it is if someone can teach themselves the skill set of becoming a great salesperson, they also have the quality to teach, uh, to learn how to be a great manager. Now, the problem is they're not automatically a great manager by being a great salesperson. Right. Just like everyone else, they need the training because as you say, it is a different skill. But my experience is if someone have the quality that it takes to bring themselves to become an outstanding salesperson, they have a they have skills, they have drive, and that can generally also make them an amazing manager. But they need the training. Right. So it's not like they go from one day to the next and suddenly they're an amazing manager. That's not how it works. But if they get the right training, they can definitely do so. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Because I, th- I think a lot of the time pe- people say that a lot and, and then they, they bring out these examples and they're like, yeah, you know, John was a great sales guy and then we promote him and then he sucked. And I'm like, yeah. what, what support did you give him? Like, what training did you give him? Oh, well, you know, he was already a great guy. I'm like, sure. <laughs> but that's not the same as a great manager, right? And, and I think, I think, I think fundamentally, I mean, I, I do it all the time. I work with people who are, you know, like outstanding engineers who by nature probably have not great communication skills, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they get the right leadership training and development, they can also become extremely capable managers, right? But I think, I think the big trick that people are missing is this development part, right? It's the fact that it takes development and it, it takes learning for, for everyone. Like people, people are so busy saying like, oh, you know, he's a naturally great manager. And like every manager, every personality has strengths and weaknesses, right? Sure. Uh, typically, typically when people say someone is a natural manager, it's typically people who are, you know, quite assertive and quite sort of, aggressive and, and so on right that's typically what people see when they say someone is a natural great manager but people like that have just as many you know weaknesses and limitations like everyone else and the whole aspect is figuring out like from my perspective at least the success for any individual person is all about figuring out getting to know themselves and learning their own strengths and weaknesses because management is all uh, management like everything else is about learning what you're really great at and doing that a lot, right? So if you're a manager who have certain struggles, like find people who help uh, balance that, right? Like if if you're super not assertive and if you're afraid of calling people out or whatever, yes, you definitely want to improve that, but surround yourself with, you know, other great leaders who are not afraid to do so and and leverage their skill set, right? Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that, that uh, I try and focus on so much is, is I think, and, and you've seen this um, so often we look at, at management or, you know, performance management, we focus on gaps, right? We focus on, okay, well, Matt's very good at this. He's good at this. He's good at this. Oh, but here's this area he's not very good at. So let's just beat him up over that. Okay. Let's get him to fix that. And, and that is in my mind really contrary to what we should be doing and you just said it when we focus and i'm not, i didn't come up with this i think i heard this from marcus buckingham focus on strengths manage around weaknesses and i think the leaders that learn to do that 
to, to your point, you mentioned someone, maybe you've got someone that's struggles with holding others accountable, but they're really good in this other area. And, and I think that's what a great leader does is he, is he, he lines up the folks on his team. Uh, he sets them up for success by having them focus on the things that they're good at. And I, I'm, I'm lucky. I have a boss that does that. I have a boss that is very much about pointing Jeremy towards the things that Jeremy is good at. And if there are areas that are not my strong point, there are other members of the team that can pick up that slack. And, and I just like that model, you know, focusing on strengths, managing around weaknesses. The reality is we all, like you said, we all have weaknesses and I'll use myself as an example. I kind of, I kind of struggle with organization. I'm not the most organized cat in the world. Now I've learned over the years to, to, to organize myself enough that I won't get fired. Right. But the reality is Mads, I will probably always struggle with organization, but there's other things I'm good at. And my boss knows, Hey, if this is a super nitpicky organized type thing, I'm not going to have Jeremy do it. I'm going to have someone else do it. I'm going to turn Jeremy loose on the things that, that he's good at. And it makes the team more effective. It makes Jeremy happier. It makes my boss happier. It makes every, it makes everyone happier rather than taking this cookie cutter approach or this approach that says, I have to pound all the weaknesses out of Jeremy. You know um, I'd much rather have someone accentuate the positive and, and talk to me about the things I do well and, and, and keep me focused on those things than having me waste time. It's going to be a lot harder for me to get better in an area that I struggle with than to get better in an area that I'm already good at. So, and, and this, I mean, I think it's a natural human thing, right? It's uh, like, I see it all the time. And when I give people feedback and I'm like, Hey, dude, you're, you're struggling in this area. And right. they turn around and say, okay, I'm going to go improve it. I'm like, no, <laughs> Well, some areas. So the, the one area that says all, all human beings should generally always work on improving is communication skills, right? Because no matter how good or bad you are, that is one of the skills that at least if you want to be in any kind of management, communication skills is, is so essential, right? right. Um, but besides that, most other things, really learning to work around it, right? And and I mean, there's things you need to learn, right? Like if you're like, so I've, I've worked with a lot of people who have very little assertiveness in them, right? And, right. Uh, you know, if you're the manager, you need to learn to fire people because if you aren't capable of doing that in, and you have situations that requires it, you know, you will end up in a very difficult situation with a horrible team because you can't get rid of the people that you need to get rid of. Now, you know, some people go through life without having to fire many, many members of staff uh, and Hopefully that's great. And hopefully that's the right thing to do, right? So that there's a big difference between holding on to people because you're afraid of firing them and holding on to people because they're actually bringing benefit to your organization. And it's, it's interesting you bring up that example because <laughs> I have to tell you, that was one of my biggest struggles. I struggled with holding people accountable. And Mads, the first time I had to fire someone, I, I was physically sick. I, it was the worst thing I'd ever done in my life. And, and to be honest, when we're training new supervisors, that's a concern with people. 
Uh, and, and I won't say that I enjoy, I enjoy terminating people, but I will say that again, I had mentors that helped me along. I had the, I won't call it an opportunity. I had the occasion to have to terminate people more often. And, and it, it, it never is easy, but it got less, uh, terrifying for me through the process. And I have had a few times in my life where I have terminated people and they have thanked me. They have, I had one lady that gave me a big hug and, and was very appreciative that I had terminated her. <laughs> and, and I think it's a skill that I was able to develop over the years of practicing um, that it became a less scary situation, right? And I think that case could be made about just about anything we have to learn as a manager. And it comes right back to your first point that, that says, so often managers don't really get trained on management. I was fortunate enough that I had managers that actually taught me how, trained me how to terminate someone. Not something I wanted to do, but that's a basic thing to your point that managers need to know how to do. And, yeah. and it doesn't always happen. We don't get that training that we need. And, and reality is like when it comes to termination, as example, like that's very much around mindset, right? Uh, because like it's never going to be a nice experience. Right, right. Whoever you are, how much of an asshole you are, uh, you know, firing someone will never be a nice experience. Um, but uh, the, the more you understand the value both to the company, but more so to the individual, Right, because one of, one of the things that I found out pretty early in my career was the fact that, you know, when when someone is not performing, or actually it was a happiness question that, that it really all came from, right? But uh, fundamentally, if people are in a job and they're not performing, even though it helps them pay their bills, they aren't happy, right? Exactly. So, so there was a lot of studies done on, on sort of happiness and work. And, and basically, if people aren't performing, they aren't happy. So really, if you keep someone in a job who's not performing and you know that they're not going to be performing over a longer period of time, you're really making the individual unhappy. Now, obviously, everyone needs to pay their bills and stuff. Uh, totally get that. But the whole thing is a lot of the time what happens is when people are in a job, they often don't, even if they don't like it or if they're unhappy, they often don't have the drive to go look for a new one. Right. However, if they do get the push and they're forced to, they generally will do. And many, many people, I mean, I, I haven't fired that many in my career, but but a lot of the people that I've fired have gone on to much, much better things, right? That have, again, been a much better fit for their personality and so on and so forth, right? And, and, I, and bet, I, I bet you've had people come back and thank you after the fact, haven't you? Sure. And, and, and more so, I mean, I, I've had... I mean, I remember in my early on, when I was sort of early 20s, I had to fire a guy who was like mid 60s or something. And that was kind of, that, that was a little bit of a scary experience because he had been with the business for like a long time, right? Um, but again, like I still talk with the guy, like a lot of the time, you know, if, if you do the right things for the right reasons, people understand you. Now, what, one of the things I always say when it comes to firing is that the reason why firing is often an issue is when people don't see it coming. Mm. And basically when people don't see firing coming, uh, you have done a horrible job as a manager. 
right? Because sure. if people aren't performing, they need to know and they need to be, it, it, it cannot come as a surprise. It's like, oh yeah, you've struggled for a long period of time and they turn around and they're like, have I? You never told me. Yeah. And the amount of managers, the amount of like the amount of organizations I've gone in and I've, I've actually gone around and asked poor performers when when the manager is like yeah i've been trying to work with this person and you know uh, i've made it clear to them that performance isn't great and all that and then i go talk with the person i'm like so you know how how's it going with your performance and they're like oh well that's okay and you know they, they actually haven't got a clue that the manager is like on the verge of firing them because yeah. the manager have not been strong enough to make it very clear and very obvious that they're on the end right and and that's so important it's so important. Yeah. And you said it, and this is the way we always say it. It should never be a surprise. It should never be a surprise. Um, yeah. And, and, and again, that's kind of one of those basics that, you know, so many of these, I'll, I'll call them kids. I, I don't, but so many of them are, you know, a lot of these uh, people I work with that are moving into their first supervisor position there, they might be 22 years old. 23, 25. Sometimes you have some older ones with experience, but the majority of them are young and this is their first, their first job. And so a lot of these things that you and I that have a little more experience, maybe just take, might take for granted. I mean, basics, I mean, we, we start with the basics from a, how to write a professional email, you know, how, how to dress, you know, uh, just basic professionalism, right. Uh, on up to things like we're talking about here when you have to terminate someone and, and legal ramifications. So uh, we kind of do this whole, you know, broad cross section uh, for, for these, these new leaders. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. For sure. And uh, yeah, you, you've worked in many cultures as well, right? I mean, I, I myself have yeah been not hired a lot in South America, but, pretty much anywhere else in the world I've hired and managed staff. So you, you have a lot of experience with that as well. Yeah, we, we're a global company, so we're, we're spread out, um, you know, quite a bit. I have spent a, a lot of time in the Philippines. Uh, in fact, the, the, that's where most of our employees uh, from a, a number standpoint are, are in the Philippines. We have uh a number in South America, actually in Guyana and Mexico, we have operations in India. And then we've got uh, several, several sites in the United States as well. But I love, I love going to other countries. The Philippines is beautiful. The people are beautiful. The culture is beautiful. I, I love going there. Guyana. Now Guyana is very fascinating. Guyana is the only country in South America whose official language is English. And Guyana is just on the, on the Northwest coast of South, South America. And even though it's, it's part of South America, it's also considered part of the Caribbean. So they, the folks in Guyana have this beautiful accent that, that you would, you know, it would sound like they're from Jamaica, right? That's the closest you know, comparison I can make. So it's, it's just so much fun to get on calls. And I hear these beautiful uh, voices from the Philippines, these beautiful accents from Guyana. I have people from Mexico on the line. Um, 
And like I said earlier, you know, 20 years ago, I would never have imagined that I would every day be working with a team uh, and, and on calls with people from all over the world. And, and it's just, uh, it's, it's, I feel blessed to be able to do that. And of course, with COVID, I haven't traveled at all, but I used to fairly regularly, you know, make trips to Guyana or to uh, the Philippines and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and that was one of the things, one of the great perks of my job. My, my wife would get so mad at me because I'd send her pictures of the places I'm staying in the Philippines. And she'd see this beautiful, beautiful beaches. And she's like, what, you know, I'm here with the kids and you're there at this Island paradise, but uh, it really is a great, a great thing. And the people are, are wonderful. And the, the opportunity to, to travel is great. I've, I've, not for work, but I've had an opportunity to spend time in Europe as well. And for, for those landlocked Americans and, and, and many Americans are pretty bad about this, you know, is, is they maybe haven't had the chance to see other parts of the world and, and they can kind of get ethnocentric in their thinking. <laughs> so it's a great, it's a great opportunity. I would encourage anyone to, to get out of your country, wherever it is, travel, try to, try to spend some time in, in other cultures. And, and it's, it's a, it's a great experience. And I'm, I'm lucky that I get to do that as part of my job. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, I've, I've been extremely lucky as well. So I'm, uh, I've, I've lived uh, both many places in Europe, but also a lot of time in Asia and spent a good bit of time in, in Africa as well. And, and I, I really, I, I totally agree with you. I think also from a leadership development standpoint, like learning different cultures, meeting different people, I think it just develops you as a human being, right? And and you you like I always look at it and you know I I don't necessarily agree with a lot of cultural aspect in many of the places I go, but I think you can always pick something up from most cultures, right? There's always something they do different. There's something they do good uh, like there's, there's things that you can pick up pretty much wherever you go right and for sure it's yeah i mean i, I i've lived the last six seven years here uh, i say in asia but it mostly sort of philippines vietnam thailand indonesia uh, singapore and so on right but but uh, yeah the, the cultural diversity definitely give you a big boost as well but well, so one of the things is i see a lot and i'm very curious and you're you and this one but a lot of people like oh you know when i hire people in this country i need to manage them totally different or when i hire people in that country you know it's a totally different thing what what's your experience with that you know it's it's interesting you say that um and and i i want to share kind of an, a quick negative experience that we saw we had um, a site director at one of our sites and this this happened to be in in Guyana and he had a very very authoritarian way you know very i mean he he was mean i mean he was he was mean like i mean that's the only way i can put it and i can remember being on a call and we were talking about there was a there was a situation going on that needed to be fixed right and so while we're on this call you know there's probably five of us on this call 
And this gentleman who's no longer, no longer with the company, this is, you know, a few years back, but he proceeds in the middle of this call, he calls this person in, you know, so we're all on video. We're all seeing it. We're all hearing it. He calls this person in and just rips them apart. Just brutal, just rips them apart. And then, and in his mind though, that's what he, that's what leadership was, you know, in, in his, where he was brought up, you know, that's how he viewed leadership is you're, you're the strong man and you tell people what to do and you push people around. And so he thought he was showing us leadership and we were all like appalled. We're like, wow. Um, and so again, I, I, I don't think that's necessarily indicative of Guyana because this gentleman was actually from another country that had, he had come in from another country to, to manage one of the sites, but it was just indicative of, he was from a culture where that was acceptable. And, you know, that was eye-opening to me. And, you know, for the most part, you know, I don't run into too many, what I'd say, cultural issues, really. It doesn't seem to, to be prevalent. I, I think much of that is just over the last few years, companies have been so multinational. And so, you know, I think we've just gotten used to working with people from different countries. Uh, that might not have been the case 10 or 15 years ago, but, um, you know, that's the only example I can think where there was really a clash of, of culture that jumped out at me. You know, for the most part, I, I think we've, we all kind of are familiar enough with each other that, um, you know, it, it seems to, to work itself out. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the way I look at it is I, I trained management and leadership the same way, wherever I go, right? Like I have a very solid framework that I'm, I'm a big believer in and I, I train the same way. Um, I get a lot of these like, Oh no, you can't do that here. And, oh yeah. That's not the right way to do things. And I'm like, so, so uh, like as, as an example in, in Asia, I mean, if we take Philippines as an example, like lots of the listeners I have um, that they have either like virtual support or the likes from, from the likes of Philippines, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously the, the culture is different, right? But when you, when you go on the ground in the Philippines, like if you go into a mall or something, right? And you look at the employees and you see how they're being managed, like it, it's not as bad as your example, but the right. whole thing is number one, you cannot criticize your boss. So if he's about to do the stupidest thing in the planet, you just clap at him and say, great, great idea, boss. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm like, that, like, yeah, that's that's definitely culturally different right yeah. um but but and and that's uh, but what i would say is the biggest difference i see is that actually encouraging people to not follow those trends and not it's it's kind of unlearning some of the local culture sometimes but i i'm a fundamental believer in that the the, the sort of the solid management work at the sort of systems that i use work everywhere right but that is in some places it takes a lot more effort to implement them and make people understand them because different cultures. Right. Yeah. I, my, my very first, I, I just remembered this, my very first trip to the Philippines, I'd never been there before. And I'm, I, I'm not, I'm six feet tall. Um, and in the Philippines, you know, most people were shorter than me. And I remember getting on the elevator 
and I hop on the elevator and I, you know, it's, it's jam packed elevator. And I say, good morning to everyone. And they say, they all say, good morning, sir. And they all called me, sir, which mm-hmm. uh, immediately it made me feel really old. Right. <laughs> good morning, sir. And then everyone like turned away from me. And I, 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 and every time I get on the elevator, that would kind of happen. And I finally asked someone after I'd been there a while, I said, Hey, how come, how come when I get on the elevator, no one will talk to me or look at me? And I thought, well, maybe it was, a, maybe I smelled bad or something. I didn't know what the problem was. And they said, oh, well, no, that's just, you know, they're, they're, they're being respectful. You know, they don't, they don't, you know, they don't want to, they're just trying to be respectful. And so that was a little adjustment I had to make. You know, the, 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 my experience in the Philippines is everyone is so friendly and, uh, wants to be so they're so service oriented, right? They want to be so helpful and polite. Um, it was just different. It was different than what I was used to, you know, in, in the U S and, uh, but, but I didn't know why they wouldn't look at me in the, in the elevator. And I wasn't sure what was going on. <laughs> and that was just kind of, kind of a little different, different thing in their culture. That's actually, so that uh, the, the whole sir thing is one of the things that I spent probably with, with my outsourcing company. That's probably one of the things I spent the most time on mm. teaching people not to say that because like in the U S I think it's okay sometimes, but uh, at least in Europe, like it's kind of like if you, if you know a person's name and not using it, that's quite impolite. Like if you keep calling someone, sir, while you know their name, that's not a very nice thing to do. But they are obviously doing it for politeness, and exactly. it's kind of, it's it's kind of difficult to help them unlearn the fact that what they're doing to be polite is not actually that polite. Yeah, it, it <laughs> um, makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I had so many clients in the initially when when we were doing the outsourcing company, and and they were like, oh, you know, it's a great person, but you know, I, I keep asking him or her to call me, you know whatever my name is, uh, but they keep calling me sir. And I'm like, it's yeah. really weird. And it's like, it, it, uh, I don't feel very comfortable with it and so on. So like we, we spend a lot of effort teaching people not to say sir in the Philippines right. way. And it's just one of those examples of where you have cultural differences. Obviously that doesn't generally make a huge difference, right? But um, I, I think also from a mindset standpoint though, it's also, I also find it quite important because Again, even though they're trying to be nice and humble and so on, what often happens is it, it sometimes make them give them the impression that they're less or they're not as important. Exactly. And that's, right. that was my concern is it yeah. made me feel bad that they thought, you know, uh, that I was above them or whatever, that they had to, you know, they couldn't look at me or talk to me or they had to call me sir. That was my concern. That was my yeah. main concern. And, and, and the biggest the biggest challenge with that when, when that happens, right, is the fact that, again, like you want people to contribute. You want people to shout out their opinions. And, and if they feel if they feel like that, that is a significantly harder ask, right, yeah. than if, if that is not the case. So, uh, yeah, that's, for me at least, that's definitely a big thing. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, uh, Students, you know, participants in in the U.S. they would have no problem disagreeing, saying, "Oh, I don't agree with that." 
yeah. where, yeah, it, it would, that would not happen in the Philippines. Yeah. That's a good point. They would, it, it yeah. won't, it won't until you teach them. So I, I mean, I have some guys I've worked with for many years now, right. And, and I have a pretty big team and, and quite a few of those guys are definitely not afraid to speak up anymore, but it takes, again, it's unlearning culture. It's a lot of, about reward. Right. So I, what I used to like when, when we just had a small business, I would used to like when people actually spoke up or said their opinion, like it, no matter how wrong or uh, no matter whatever it was, I would always uh, boast your appreciation and, and, you know, really reward them for doing so because you have to reward the behaviors that you want to see. Uh, and that was very, very important uh, in the Philippines sure. particular. Excellent. Well, Jeremy, it's been an amazing fun chat. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. I, I, I mentioned before we came on uh, how much I've enjoyed listening to your podcast. I subscribed, so I'll be, I'll be listening to it moving forward. And there's a bunch of episodes I want to go back and check out. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Definitely. If people are eager to get hold of you or, or what's, the, what's the best way to do so? Well, you know, you can always email me. Uh, my email address is Lunnan. That's J-L-U-N-N-E-N at qualphone, Q-U-A-L-F-O-N.com. And you can also check out, we have a corporate podcast called the Mission Qualphone Podcast. That's just Mission Qualphone Podcast. And uh, I actually have a, a podcast of my own called Leading from the Basement. So you can check out either of those podcasts or you can can email me at the at the email address and I'd I'd love to talk to anyone and, and everyone if they have uh, questions or comments or anything. And I, I really appreciate the time, Mads. It's been great. Fantastic. Been a pleasure. Been a pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you very much. And to the audience, thank you very much for listening. Once again, we'll be back again next week. Fantastic to have you with us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.